Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I actually want to start this hour with a phone call because it relates to this issue of ineptness on the Democratic side. Because, I, look, I, I see the – and you all can always email me, eric at ewerickson.com, E-R-I-C-K, uh, both Eric and Erickson. Um, and there's a definitely a generational divide. If you're older than me, you tend to think, no, this is all sort of a progressive plot, and they're thinking five, six, seven moves ahead of us. And if you're younger than me, you're willing to say, yeah, these progressives are dumber than the old progressives, and they're really inept. Uh, and I, that's where I am. I, I actually think there is a level of ineptitude here. That, and part of it is, well, I, I want to get into why that is. And maybe those of you who are older than me, may, maybe I can – if you disagree, that's fine. But I, I've, I've got some relevant data from a progressive out there that, that I think kind of shows what's going on here. And I want to talk about that in, in charter schools. There's a tie-in to this with charter schools. But before we get there, I want to go to Maureen who's been waiting patiently. Maureen, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, how are you? Great. What's going on? Well, I just had a thought um, on what you are talking about, and that is that I have a lot of conservative and progressive friends um, and family members who keep trying to tell me that all of the stuff that's going on right now is part of a massive master plan with some intricate, far-reaching, deep deep state scheme mm-hmm. and kind of not believing that because you know we all also talk about how foolish you know idiotic dense um, sometimes even dementia ridden our politicians are on both sides and you know you can't have it both ways right it's either a, they're either a bunch of bumbling idiots in a clown car like you said or they're super masterminds, but one does not equal the other. And plus, no one can keep their mouth shut for 10 minutes anyway, so how could you possibly pull off some kind of years-long master scheme anyway? Yeah, look, I, I see I'm with you on this, and, and I get that part of it is there's a segment on the right, particularly that inhabits MySpace and talk radio, that pays attention to groups like the World Economic Forum and others, and when they talk about the Great Reset, uh, suddenly here come all these conservatives saying, oh, well, it came out of Davos and the World Economic Forum. This must be the Great Reset we're seeing. I just don't think that they are competent enough to pull it off, at least not the people of today, for a variety of reasons. And, and yeah, I, I mean, you can't have it both ways. If he's dementia-addled patient... Uh, and, and they're all a bunch of stoners and the like, they're not going to be the competent people. And if they're the super competent people, they're not going to put Joe Biden as the leader, um, the, even if, if they think they can run circles around because they're not. They're not running circles around him. And it all depends, really, there, there's a uh, demographic generational age issue that I think comes to bear. And, and part of this, here's here's my perspective on this. And I really do I, – I, again, I'm not going to tell you something I don't believe, and maybe you'll at least understand my perspective on this. And I will start with if they're really that Machiavellian and that good at this, they would figure out a way to get some bipartisan gains right now 
since they can't otherwise get stuff done in the Senate. And they would try to mitigate November, and they're not doing any of that. What they're doing is they're doubling down on things. They're interpreting their losses in 2020 as wins because Biden won. And they didn't really win in 2020. Elizabeth Warren, in her op-ed in the New York Times the other day, essentially said that the Democrats won in 2020. They, They picked up the Senate. Well, yeah, because Republicans in Georgia stayed home and gave it to them. They lost. They were expecting a Democratic wave in the House. They lost all but five seats. And Biden barely won. He may have won big in the popular vote, but in the Electoral College, he barely won. Matthew Iglesias, who actually I've 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 never been a big fan of the guy because he's he's always been kind of I don't know, he's been in that progressive bubble. And then he kind of he he wrote a he signed on to a letter several years ago. He worked for Vox. He was one of the Vox kids, one of the founders of Vox. And he wrote a letter or signed a letter that essentially called for tolerance of ideas that that we should not be uh, in a battle of recrimination against ideas we don't like. And the people at Vox chased him off. And he's become a much more interesting writer since then. And I want to I want to read you some of what he wrote. Uh, the misinformation cope. A couple of weeks ago. Barack Obama spoke at a University of Chicago seminar on disinformation and the erosion of democracy, as you might expect from a speaker at a seminar on disinformation and the erosion of democracy. He offered the view that misinformation plays a major role in shaping our current problems. I acknowledge that misinformation exists and that it's bad and that ideally everyone would be well-informed. But I also think that the structural biases of media and academia exaggerate this problem. Jeffrey Goldberg, editor-in-chief of The Atlantic, recently declared that disinformation is the story of our age. But this article is just hype for the same conference Obama spoke at, a conference organized in part by The Atlantic. The importance of improving the information ecosystem is a conveniently appealing message for a highbrow magazine owned by a wealthy philanthropist. But it's really Obama I'm disappointed in. Barack Obama was a great politician. But while he's very influential among Democratic Party movers and shakers, he doesn't like to talk about the hard-knuckled aspects of his own approach to politics. And I agree with Michael Slabby that the misinformation focus among Democrats feels like a self-exculpatory cope. Now, here's the quote from Michael Slabby. Democrats are also seemingly prepared to blame disinformation for an ongoing lack of clarity and imagination, for an unwillingness to see their culpability in losing hearts and minds and failing to win the back, for an inconsistent ability to deliver for people. Failure of leadership is never the answer. The Russians, Trump, McConnell, and now disinformation. Never a lack of imagination, vision, organizing, effective long-term investments, being able to, to being valuable to people, empathy. Now back to Iglesias. Like a lot of dangerous ideas, the desire to blame misinformation contains a kernel of truth. Independents and less educated people are less knowledgeable about politics. And in the 2016 and 2020 cycles, Democrats picked up support from college graduates, largely women in 2016, joined by men in 2020, while losing support from non-graduates, largely white in 2016, joined by Hispanics in 2020. This is to say that Democrats have gained a lot of ground with demographics 
that correlate with being well-informed while losing ground with demographics that correlate with being poorly informed. It is certainly possible to interpret the trend as suggesting that some people have swung toward Trump because they are misinformed, while others have swung away from him because they are well-informed. But recall that 10 years ago, the late Rush Limbaugh had a running gag about low-information voters based on the true observation that at the time, Republicans were meaningfully better informed about basic political facts than Democrats. That's because in addition to political attainment, political knowledge correlates with age. Young people are less informed than old people. And with gender, women are less informed than men. That's true, even if controversial. Ten years ago, there was a strong tendency for less educated white people to vote Republican, but that was offset by Obama's huge margins with black and Latino working class people. But in the 2012 realignment, Obama voters were not better educated than Romney voters, but women and young people did lean left while men and old people leaned right. He goes on from there, and I can leave it there from his point. What I want to get to, though, is the Democrats' misinformation cope. See, a lot of you are convinced they have a master plan. And here's the dirty little secret. They do have a master plan. They do. You're right. They do. I never said they didn't. They have a master plan. The problem is they're too inept to get it done. I mean, they brag about it. Look, uh, a lot of us look at this this World Economic Forum stuff that comes out uh, and the Great Reset. That's the big talking point on in certain corners of the right these days that, oh, this is all part of the Great Reset. The Great Reset is phraseology that comes out of the World Economic Forum, the Davos Summit of the Rich People. And, oh, they're trying to impose the Great Reset on it. They're taking advantage of COVID to reset the world. I'm old enough to remember when you guys, some of y'all thought that, uh, what was it, the, the Council on Foreign Relations wanted a one-world government, one-world order. I've been waiting for this one-world order government since I was a kid. Hadn't seen it yet. Oh, but it's coming. It's always coming in the minds of the conspiracy theorists. It's always coming. No, no. The Democrats, they got a plan. I mean, they got a Democratic Party platform. We saw them ratify it at the Democratic Convention. The problem is that they're too inept to get it done at this point. And in part, it's because they've convinced themselves, and this is really important. This gets to the heart of my point here. They've convinced themselves the way the world works is different from the way the world actually works. They've lost touch with reality. And you can't get a plan passed into reality in the real world when you think the world works in a way the world does not work. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said she was lured back into politics by watching the West Wing. The West Wing is the intellectual masturbatory fair of the intellectual elite in America who want to think that Washington works at some higher plane of ideal than it actually does. They want Aaron Sorkin's speeches from our leaders and from ordinary Americans who are wise and genteel and Washington works in certain ways. Washington's never worked that way. You want an idea of how Washington actually works? Watch Veep on HBO. 
that's been the joke in Washington for a while. I mean, we watch House of Cards and we watch The West Wing and we think that everybody in Washington is some Machiavellian strategist able to get things done. There's deep, dark surfaces. That's not actually it. Washington used to maybe be filled with smart people who had visions for the future they wanted to enact. Washington today is filled with a bunch of inbred idiots on both sides of the aisle, no less. It's not just the Democrats. They're all a bunch of idiots whose daddies had money and they were able to get elected having had no meaningful achievement in life with few exceptions. The bureaucracy is no better. The elite in our country these days are as inbred as the Roman Republican era. They're not very smart, and they are convinced that they are. So, yeah, they got plans. They're just too inept to get them done. Occasionally, they luck into stuff, but overwhelmingly, it is by accident, not by conviction and not by by force of personality. The only time the Democrats have been able to get anything significantly done in the last few years was Obamacare in 2010 because they had 60 seats in the Senate. And then they got wiped out because of it. And a lot of it has to do with misinformation now. They are convinced that you are lied to. They are convinced that you don't know the way the world works. They are convinced that if only you knew their truth, you would go along with them. And that's their frustration is they've convinced themselves that the world is so full of misinformation and disinformation. And that's the problem. That makes them, of course, head towards authoritarianism while telling themselves Trump's really the authoritarian. But at the end of the day, while they're so convinced that you're all been lied to and duped, they're too inept to get anything done. I'm used to a Democratic Party that could look out a decade in the future and plan it out and say, these are the steps we're going to take incrementally over time, and we're going to get bipartisan buy-in on these initial things. We're going to take the very popular things. We're going to get Republicans to go along with it because, after all, who wouldn't support this stuff? And then over time, once they got all that stuff done to head toward their plan, then suddenly they do the less popular stuff, but they would have the votes to be able to get it done. The current Democratic Party is so convinced that everything they do is popular, and the reason you don't like it is you're lied to. They can't understand that what they actually want to do really isn't that popular. Or it's popular, but the messengers trying to sell it are too out to lunch to relate to anyone and convince them it's so. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I got to go back to this Aaron Blake piece at the Washington Post on the rise of solo judges nixing nationwide policies. He points out in the piece, it was a problem for Obama. It was, it was also a problem for George W. Bush, by the way. But then Obama and then really Trump and now Biden, uh, all because of the mask mandate. He writes, back in 2017, when the GOP-controlled House held a hearing on national injunctions, Notre Dame law professor Samuel Bray, a noted academic and national injunction critic, suggested that both parties had reason to stop this back and forth. Now, turnabout is fair play, he said. In other words, whether you are a Democrat or Republican, sometime in the last three years, your ox has been gored by the national injunction. My hope is that this bipartisan pain offers an opportunity. We do not have to be distracted by the latest national injunction. We can take a longer view. We can get the law right. Since then, neither Congress nor the Supreme Court has shown desire to do anything. A 2021 Congressional Research Service published report 
noting no federal statute explicitly authorizes the courts to issue some injunctions, nor does any statute expressly limit their ability to do so. And the Supreme Court has not expressly ruled on the legality of nationwide injunctions. Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh, among others, have all complained about nationwide injunctions. Um, Gorsuch wrote that these orders share the same basic flaw. They direct how the defendant must act toward persons who are not parties to the case. Jeff Sessions and then William Barr, the attorneys general for Donald Trump, also uh, called for an end to nationwide injunctions, jointly writing an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. But Congress and the Supreme Court have done nothing. Ironically, maybe it is a federal judge in Florida getting rid of the nationwide mask mandate that could do this. Although hers is somewhat different because she's not enjoining enforcement. What she did is she vacated a federal regulation. And by saying the federal regulation falls, that applies nationwide. There's not an enjoinment from acting nationwide. It would be great if there was some ability, some time, some opportunity to do something. But I just, again, find it very funny that they waited until the Biden administration for the mainstream media to lament this. And of all things on the mask mandate, you know, there's polling out that shows a majority of Americans oppose the mask mandate. There's also polling out that shows a majority of Americans support the mask mandate. But if you go to the airport and you look around, you will tell that a majority of people who actually go to the airport and travel oppose the mask mandate, whether they say they support it or not. And by the way, uh, you are perfectly fine and welcome to wear an N95 mask if you want. You can do that. You're allowed to do that. No one will stop you from wearing a mask in public if you want to wear a mask in public. And if you wear an N95 mask and you seal it properly, you don't have to worry about anybody else not wearing a mask. That's the crazy thing here. Is they think, but I'll be more secure. No, no, someone else wearing an N95 mask is not going to improve your odds. You wearing the N95 mask yourself are taking your life into your own hands and doing your own risk assessment and keeping yourself as safe as possible. Forcing other people to comply for your concern is selfishness. It's not about loving your neighbor at that point. It's selfishness because the N95 mask will give you complete protection. Hello there. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. I got to play you an ad. This is, if you're a longtime listener, you know, during campaign season, I love, love to play campaign ads because you learn so much from their message. This is one of the most hotly contested races in America today. I'm just going to let you, that's all I'm going to say is one of the most hotly contested races in America today. Listen to the message and then we'll discuss. And it relates to everything else I've been talking about. I'm Raphael Warnock. I'm a dad, a senator, a pastor, but a magician? I'm not. So in just a year in the Senate, did I think I could fix Washington? Of course not. But every day I focused on what I could do for our state, creating jobs, 
fixing infrastructure, expanding health care. I approve this message because that's not magic. That's doing the job for Georgia. Oh, oh, wow. I'm not a magician. I can't get anything done. Look at all this stuff. That's bad. That's bad. And that's kind of a recognition of just how inept they are in Washington right now. That I mean, this is his ad on defense, one of the most hotly contested Senate races in the country. And his advertising, I mean, the national media raising their eyebrows at this Raphael Warnock ad today very preemptively. Look, don't y'all be mad at me. I can't get anything done in Washington because I'm not a magician. Oh, one of the things the Democrats are doing, however, is going after charter schools. Something suburban parents love. This is from the Wall Street Journal. This is the editorial board there. No president has been more hostile to charter schools than Joe Biden. And his Department of Education is proving it with proposed rules that undermine the federal charter schools program. The assault is triggering a bipartisan political backlash. In an April 6th letter to Education Secretary Miguel Cardona, six Republican senators led by North Carolina's Richard Burr note that Congress rejected a proposal that makes it harder for charter schools to tap the federal program. Such blatant disregard is yet another example of this administration ignoring the will of Congress and by acting by executive fiat, the senators write. They say the department has refused to meet with Mr. Burr's staff. Democrats who follow education aren't any happier. Will Marshall, president of the Progressive Policy Institute, criticizes a new racial diversity requirement since charters largely serve minority students. Charter schools are working to reverse our society's historic discrimination against black and Hispanic families and their children. Yet the Education Department now proposes to put the burden of reversing centuries of residential segregation on them, Mr. Marshall wrote. Former Louisiana Democratic Senator Mary Landrieu and former Florida Republican Representative Carlos Corbello exposed the ruse in the department's demand that charters prove declining enrollment in nearby district schools. Given that every state in the nation saw a decline in district school enrollment last year, the proposed guideline alone is impossible to meet, they write, for the 74, an online publication. None of the bureaucratic hurdles in these proposed rules are tied to what really matters, fostering educational innovation and academic achievement. Now, I'll stop there. Let me explain to you what's going on here. The Biden administration, adhering to progressive demands to support public education, has decided to go to war with public charter schools. And so they're essentially saying that public charter schools in minority neighborhoods need more white kids. And if you don't meet a racial diversity quota, you're not getting federal funds. On top of that, they want charter schools to show that they're not to blame for the decline in population in public schools around them. They're not really providing guidelines for how they can do that. Democrats and Republicans alike are mad about it. You know who hasn't said anything yet? 
someone like Raphael Warnock, a Democratic senator who is in a sticky position because progressives want to end charter schools. Stacey Abrams, running for governor in Georgia, wants to end charter schools. She sees them as an affront to public schools. More and more black and Hispanic parents are sending their kids to charter schools to escape failing public schools. And Democrats want to get rid of them. There is a real problem for the Democrats here, and it goes back to their bubble that they're in. And that's why, ultimately, I fall on the side of ineptitude, not some master planner. They've got one. They just can't get it done because they've lost touch with the people. There was a um, – hang on. I, I, I've, I mentioned it before. E. Sherman poem. Another people. I'm I'm having to Google I because I can't remember. Yes, the Dai Song, the solution, is the Bertolt Brecht poem about East Germany, uh, published in 1959 in the West German newspaper De Welt. It was about the East German uprising. After the uprising of the 17th of June, the secretary of the Writers' Union had leaflets distributed to the Stalinali stating that the people had forfeited the confidence of the government and could only win it back by increasing work quotas. Would it not in that case be simpler for the government to dissolve the people and elect another? You get that? The Stalinali, uh, it was a boulevard in East Germany where all of the, the Soviet government communist and commissars, uh, they lived and there was a workers' uprising. It endangered the the East German government, this uprising. They had to crack down. Uh, they, they, they had to clear it out. And later, the East Germans would use it for their May Day festival. And so the secretary of the Writers' Union, according to the poem, distributed uh, leaflets where this uprising was. And said the people had lost the confidence of the government. Maybe it would be easier, the guy says in the poem, for the government to dissolve the people and get another. That's the problem for progressives in America right now. They're out of touch with the American people. They don't understand the concerns of Americans. There's a story in the Washington Post by Taylor Lawrence. Now, you need to know Taylor Lawrence is a 40-something-year-old Twitter troll who isn't spectacularly accomplished but was able to get a job at the New York Times where she was so deeply disruptive they were glad to see her go. And she's landed at the Washington Post, and her shtick is she writes about the Internet. But she doesn't really write about the Internet. She uses her journalistic platform to settle grudges of progressives on the Internet. And she's gone after an account on Twitter called Libs of TikTok. I've played you audio in the past from there. I have to be careful because oftentimes they, they descend into profanity. And it's it's slipped me up before on here. It came in at the very end. I, I didn't watch the full clip and it, it went out and oops, my bad. Thankfully for delays on radio. But Taylor Lawrence, the Twitter troll at the Washington Post, went after the uh, author of the account, the owner of the account. Let me explain to you what the owner of the account does. The owner of the account goes on TikTok and finds teachers. 
and school administrators who brag on TikTok about using their positions in schools to indoctrinate the kids to transgenderism, indoctrinating the kids to wokeism, indoctrinating the kids to deviancy in some cases, teaching the kids that that pedophilia is actually a normal love instinct. I mean, these are the sorts of things that the Libs on TikTok account uh, exposed. And all the person did was take the pre-existing videos and put them on Twitter for people to see. I mean, it's not like they were private accounts. It's not like there's private information. These people were on display on TikTok. And so all this, this person did is run the run the videos on Twitter for people to see. Libs of TikTok showing the insanity of the left. So Taylor Lawrence, the Twitter troll, harassed the individual, uh, noted that the the Twitter the proprietor of the account is an Orthodox Jew. Why does it matter that the owner of the account is an Orthodox Jew? Why did Taylor Lawrence feel the need to make sure people knew the owner was an Orthodox Jew? But then Taylor Lawrence, the Twitter troll, said that this account was harassing people, costing them their jobs by exposing what they said. They put it out there for everyone to see. Were they not proud of it? If you put your videos out there for everyone to see and you lose your job because of it, it's not the problem with the the libs of TikTok account. The problem is they went too far. They pushed the boundaries. Now, listen, you need to know my worldview is that this world is going to hell in a handbasket. The things of the world hate the things of God. The things of the world are hostile to the things of God. Uh, that's why we're seeing the, the bat poop crazy out there and why the left is embracing it because the, the left, by and large, has moved away from the things of God, become very worldly. This is where the things of the world are, and so they embrace these things, these ungodly things, the things of the world, and and it's going to keep getting worse. You're not going to be able to escape it by and large. You will be made to care. And then there will come a final day, and we will watch them all be swept off into hellfire, and we'll go on about our business, victorious at last. But right now, the left believes it's culturally dominant. After Barack Obama, they really did think that they were culturally dominant. They looked at Donald Trump's victory. First, they told themselves that it was the Russians. The Russians had stolen the election. Uh, then they, they they looked at the popular vote Hillary Clinton won. They looked at the popular vote of, of Joe Biden. They said, look, we really are. We're, we're in the majority now. We're in the majority We can do these things. We can live our best life now and show it off and flaunt it and force everybody else to go along with it. They weren't prepared for the backlash. They never saw the backlash coming. And what's happening now is black and Hispanic voters are moving to the right because of it. And they think they're dominant. That's why they don't think they need to any special skills to deploy their their long-held beliefs in their master plan, they, that they should just be able to go with it. And it's made them inept and incompetent because they, they don't have the people on their side and they're convinced they are. And, and to the extent that, that they realize people aren't with them, they've convinced themselves it's misinformation. If only you really knew the truth, you would totally be for man-boy love. I mean, that's where they are. They can't acknowledge 
that the public isn't with them because in their world, the public is with them. And reality is starting to creep into the politicians of how bad it is, which is why you have a guy like Raphael Warnock having to come out and say, hey, my bad. I, I, I couldn't get anything done in Washington. It's that, it's that broken. I, I couldn't get it done. I'm not a magician. I'm sorry. Uh, but look, I was able to get you some, some money for job creation and protect something. But the left is coming after the charter schools in Georgia. The left is coming after you Christians. The left is coming for everybody. And they can't stop themselves. They can't help themselves because they're in a bubble with the media that tells them, yes, yes, everybody's on your side. If they're not, it's because they're willful idiots being lied to. They're QAnon. And so charge straight up the hill towards the parents. Behind the parents, their children. The parents are prepared to fire down Bunker Hill when they see the whites of their eyes to protect their kids from the pedophiles and the perverts who are in their school systems and the left thinks it's this Libs and TikTok account. That's the problem. No, the problem is you got a bunch of perverts and pedophiles and groomers and others for real, and you don't even see it. You don't even recognize it because you're in a bubble. The world has turned against you. Now, I am mindful that the world will eventually get its way. The things of the world hate the things of God. And if we're in the end times, we're only in the beginning of it, so it's going to get worse for those of us faith. I understand that. But right now, what the left doesn't understand is there are so many people within their bubble affirming them, telling them they're right, the convictions that they have are real, that they should go forward full speed ahead. Damn the torpedoes. They're about to hit the torpedoes of the parents' rights movement who are appalled at what's going on. And the best they got is, well, they're just misinformed people. No, no. They know what's coming, and they're going to fight you for it, and they're going to fight you for their children's future. And the media keeps affirming you and saying it's the parents who are the bad guy. Y'all are about to find out at the ballot box that you don't control the culture the way you think you do. And you are too clueless to realize what's coming. Now, let's clear the air here. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm, it can eliminate the foul odors, the sulfurous odors of people of the left coming into contact. It gets rid of those odors. It gets rid of the smoke odors. It gets rid of the musty odors. It gets rid of the pet odors. And it packs a wall. For a small device, you can hold it in your hand. You can even plug it in with a USB cord in your car. If you got a USB outlet, you just use the USB cord that comes with it. Plug it in and poof, eliminates the odors. It also gets rid of the mildew and the mold and the pollen, the bacteria, and it's filterless. You just wipe it out on occasion. And right now, you can get three of them. In fact, a certain person who will remain nameless, Philip, got cigar smoke in his vehicle. And we were able to get it out with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. We just put it in the car, left, let it run for 30 minutes. And it fixed itself. The odors went away. You can get three of them for less than $200 by going to EdenPureDeals.com. And you put Eric, E-R-I-C-K, three in the in the, the window on the front page for the discount code, Eric3. You get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You save $200. You get free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric3, E-R-I-C-K, three. Go there now. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They are in Noonan, Georgia, but don't let that discourage you wherever you are. Portland, Oregon, Orlando, Florida, uh, Kennebunkport, Maine, they can help your business grow. And uh, in so doing, uh, they can uh, get your business to yes with a big deal where a lot of banks are saying no. So if you need $750,000 or more, reach out to First Liberty. 
see if they can help you buy a building, build a building, have a big idea. Uh, talk to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. Tell them I sent you. FirstLibertyGA.com. See if they can help you. Well, uh, McDonald's CEO, former CEO, has decided to go fight woke corporate politics. Uh, he was the CEO, president CEO from 91 to 97, uh, Ed Renzi. Uh, current chairman of Fat Brands. I don't know what Fat Brands is, but he's going to go fight woke corporations uh, and woke corporate policy. I actually want to spend a little time on this wokeness issue here. Before I do that, though, I got to play you this audio. This is remarkable audio from Kamala Harris. Space is exciting. It spurs our imaginations and it forces us to ask big questions. Space, it affects us all, and it connects us all. Those are some deep thoughts by Kamala Harris there. Gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm trying not to be critical because she's, she's talking to soldiers, but I just, did she not get the, the text of the speech? Editor? I don't know, man. There's just goodness gracious. Um, What's going on in the Democratic Party right now? They got some issues. When I come back, though, I want to talk about the cultural issues because the cultural issues, I think, are really relevant here. And it's playing into Netflix and the the collapse of Netflix stock and, and the, the chasing away of people. What's going on with Disney right now? There's a larger cultural issue happening right now. And it's one I think the right, if they're not incompetent and inept, can seize on. And it looks like they're going to with the voters.